0: Hopefully this isn't weird for you, but every week we just take a moment to be quiet. Um, I, I was talking to my daughter yesterday, who is going to church camp this week, and um, she's going to be gone for a full week. She's ten years old and um, going on twenty-one, um, very very independent, and I am just not dealing very well with the fact that she's going to leave me for a week. But um, you know, she—the more we talk, the more I, I started thinking about how good this is going to be for her this week. No electronics, no television. Um nothing, that, uh, nothing but quiet in a lot of ways, as quiet as 80 girls her age can be. Um, there'll be some noise, but there's also just going to be some quiet. And I said, man, I, I really think that'll be good for you. And she said, yeah, Dad, that'd be good for you too. <laughs> yep, 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 she, she's right. And I, the truth is, it'd be good for you this morning. Um, in fact, we do this every week. Um, ten years we've been doing this. Because I- here's what I believe about this thing. That God wants to speak into your life, and I don't mean that with words, I don't mean that you're going to hear a voice, Um, but that in your heart, in your life, he wants to start to prioritize some things, and he will not speak over the noise, over the loud stuff in your life. If If you're a member of New Life or you've been around here long, you've heard me say, God will not speak over the noise in your life. He wants you to choose to turn down that stuff so that you can hear from him. And if I stand up here or sit up here for the next 30 minutes and talk to you, and you haven't done that, you're going to miss all of it, because the noise in your life will be too loud. So over the next minute, we do this every week, just a, a time for you to just be quiet. You'll hear the kids, you'll hear the water, um, whatever it takes, whatever you believe today. I don't know where you are with God, um, I know where he is with you, whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you, um, and whatever you're feeling, he, feels, uh, he wants to be close to you. But whatever you're feeling with God, this is a moment for you to just to be quiet, just to get some things straight. Um, if you are a believer, if you're if somebody who believes that, that God is who he says he is, it's a good moment to say, God, help me get my priorities right. Help me get some perspective. And if you're not, you're just kicking the tires on this thing, you're going to sit here for a half hour anyway. You might as well say, hey, God, I'm going to try this thing. <laughs> if you're there, um, I'm, can you help me quiet the other things in my life so that you can um, speak into my life? So I'm just going to give you a minute to be quiet. I need it too. Um, and then we'll jump in this morning. God, in this moment we pause, not just in our morning, but we try to do the best we can. If we had a big remote control, we just hit the pause button in our life. Whatever's in our hearts, our heads, our minds right now, God, would you give us this moment of clarity that we would see the things that are most important first, that we would think cut through the garbage, the things in our life that cause us anxiety, frustration, angst. And we would look for the things that are the most important. God, we desire peace and hope and joy and freedom. <laughs> and this weekend we celebrate great freedom as Americans and we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for those who have died to protect it died to gain it we're thankful for the things that allows in us and in our children and god at the same time there are many of us in this place that are maybe free legally but aren't free spiritually we feel constricted by something somebody has told us about who you are we feel constricted by the ways we feel about ourselves because of guilt things that have caused us to be far from you would you give us a different kind of freedom an even deeper freedom today in the deepest part of who we are and we'll turn down all the noise in our life so we can hear from you in your son's name amen one of my favorite things to do this time of year um, is fish and I haven't got to do it very much um, in the past few years but when I was a kid my dad would take whatever boat he could find at the time now he's got a ranger um, a really nice 21 foot Ranger, Um, but when I was a kid, of course, as soon as I moved out of the house, he bought the Ranger, but until then, he bought whatever he could buy, you know, or borrow so that we could go fishing and go on the lake, and he didn't have much money, and in fact, one of the things I remember growing up is that we had a John boat that had so many holes in the bottom of it that he had tried to patch with Bondo. Um, Bondo was a big deal at that point, you know, and and I remember uh, every fishing trip, it would be the hour before we left, bondoing the whole thing, you know. And then we'd get out on the lake, and the same thing would happen. We'd fish about two hours, and Dad would say, all right, guys, rods down, time to bail. And we'd pick up little buckets, and we'd bail out water for about 20 minutes before we could start fishing again, you know, and and everything would float. And I remember remember as a kid, um, my favorite time, my absolute favorite time at night on Lake Monroe or Lake Lemon um, here in Bloomington, was, was just as it was getting dark, um, things would get really quiet. You know, the lake, if you've been on a lake at that point, the lake, whether it had w- been choppy all day, it would just turn to kind of glass. About that moment, everybody just got quiet in the boat. No matter what we were doing, we all just started kind of talking quieter. You can sort of hear differently. And then as the sun goes down, this thing happens. It happens on Lake Lemon especially, if you've ever been on Lake Lemon, where th- when the sun goes down, all of a sudden it gets really dark and then dusk to dawn lights start coming on <laughs> at the houses and people start turning on their porch lights and pretty soon you can see humanity start to pop up in the dark and lights start to kind of completely uh, create this sort of a halo effect on the lake and that they start to glow off the lake and I remember as a kid and I still love it to this day, getting, being on the lake and seeing the lights on the hills around me sort of glow and this is something that um, I think I think about because my dad has talked to me so much about a piece of scripture that I want to tell you about um, today. Um, this, is a, this is a piece of, of, of the Bible that is history, um, and it is a piece that not just... Um, Not just we can find in the Bible, but a man named Josephus, who wasn't a Jesus follower, he was a historian at the time, he's one of the earliest historians, actually wrote down some of the stories you're going to hear today. So this is not just the Bible, it's not just a religious guy up here telling you things, this is a history, um, this is a moment in time, um, about 2,000 years ago, where a group of people started a phenomenon. And it began to change the way people thought about God. And it was very intentional and very um, moving time in history. And Jesus would do this thing. um, Jesus would would draw people to him. And when he did, he would begin to point at things. And even people who don't believe that he was God... um, they're, they're storytellers who are studying the life of Jesus and studying his techniques because he was one of the first people in history to actually connect like physical things to his talks and his messages and his story. He would pick up things and he would say, you know, a farmer was in a field and then he would just be walking and all of a sudden a farmer was in the field as they were walking. You know, it was just the coolest thing. And I believe as, as we begin to tell this story, Jesus was probably with a group of people um, just about dark, just like I was talking about when it was fishing. It was just, just about dark. And now they, they couldn't turn on their, their light switches and their generators and, and turn the electricity on. But they, they had this phenomenon 2,000 years ago where they were actually much better with fire than we are now. If you think about it now, we kind of use fire as a cool thing. We, ha- we, r- we light our ridiculously expensive Yankee candles um, to make things smell good, or we might start a fire f- to sit around in the evenings. But this was their way of life. In the evenings, it, it, as soon as it got dark, they had to find creative ways of using fire to light up what they were doing, to cook and those kinds of things. And there were some really cool things. There was a city um, that had—it it, would have been probably something that, that Jesus and the people that, he was, that were following him— throughout his whole ministry would have seen on a regular basis as soon as it got dark you'd be able to see this city from a from a distance um, it's a city called Sipporus, Um and you can you can go out and google this now you can see lots of pictures this is one of the pictures of it um, and this is a, obviously a more modern picture but what they would have experienced was was this vast darkness throughout their their land if you think about um, the followers of Jesus it would have gotten dark really quick because you didn't have this big horizon with with lots of floodlights and, and all of Walmart lit up and the parking lot and all that kind of thing, that residual light, it would have gotten dark really fast. And as it got dark, people started lighting candles in their house, but not just candles and not just inside their house. They would light these huge uh, fires around rocks. And they, they found out that some of these rocks were really, really reflective. And they found ways of using water and rock to create this really cool ambient effect with light. And they could make a pretty small fire that would light a whole area. And so what would happen is as it started getting dark, these fires would start to get lit. And Jesus, I believe, was probably, w- w- to, just to set up this story I'm going to tell you today, was probably with the, a group of people, probably could have been a couple hundred people, um, around Jesus. Often he had that many people around him. And he, he begins to, to go, you know what, um, you see that city up there? And the city he's pointing to is this city, Sipporos, or one like it. Um, Sipporos was about 30,000 people, um, which was a lot of people for a city at that point. Um, they had a, one of the first recorded gymnasiums of its kind, a place where people could actually partake in athletic events of different kinds. Um, you know, probably didn't have a bow flex and a, a volleyball court, but had their version of gymnasium. Um, they had a mint in the city of Sapporis, which was a, just a place where they actually made money. You can imagine the kinds of, with the laws being as, uh, as as you know, sort of short as they were at the time, uh, a mint and money. It was hard to keep the money um, <laughs> count of all the money and so there was a lot of law breaking but this city because of its light and because you could see it from a distance this city was often called the ornament of galilee it was a anybody who came around you could be anywhere in the area of galilee or maybe on the sea of galilee and you could see it as it got dark and many of the people would have known that this was the ornament of Galilee. Now, the interesting thing is, God chose, when he, came, when he chose to send Jesus, he, he could have chose the ornament of Galilee. You would have thought, I mean, if I were God at the time, I, I would have said, if I, we want to send Jesus, I want to send this person, I want them to be famous, I want them to be from the ornament of Galilee. But he didn't. And st- instead, he chose this place called Nazareth, um, which was a, t- a town of about 300 people when Jesus was there, Um, that that makes Paragon look big, right? Um, 300 people is just a traffic stop now. Um, But the difference between those two places would have been astounding. And it was a really, really poor town. Can you imagine? You guys complain about your taxes. The town of Nazareth, most people believe at the time of Jesus, had about a 70% tax. Um, And that was on average. Some people just had all of their money taken. Um, And other people fought a little bit for it. But about an average of 70% tax, and it just got worse. Literally, the rich got richer, and the poor got poorer. Saporis was the place where you would live if you were rich. Nazareth was the place you would live if you were poor. Guess where Jesus was from? (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, if, if God would have had God's way, which God always gets God's way, you would think that God would make Jesus from the ornament, but instead he made him from the armpit, Right? from the, the poor town, from the small place. In fact, John chapter 1, at one point, there are two early leaders um, of, uh, that, that were close to God and were leading people close to God, and they were looking for the Messiah, who Jesus was, and they began to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And we have this note where Philip uh, finds this guy named Nathaniel, and he says, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and to whom all the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, literally everyone, even the people who were close to God, would not have believed that Jesus would come from the poor town. It's one of the reasons I love Paragon, by the way. I think God has a, a soft spot. I think he has a place in his heart, a different kind of thought about small places that seem to be stricken by poverty. Or as maybe if you're here today and you're not a God follower, you might call it bad luck, bad heritage. I think there is something in God that really is drawn towards small groups of people who believe that nothing good can come from them. I think, I think it honors God when things do come from him, and I think he likes to point at it, and I think he likes to bless them differently. In fact, Jesus was standing one time just before he said, that He told the story that he's uh, about to, to tell today. He was, he was standing on this hill with a big group of people, and this is a really famous um, talk. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's where Jesus got up on a big mountain um, and he talked to this big group of people. And the, the cool thing about this was that it wasn't just a group of people who believed in him, which is why I love this church. Because and we, you hear me say this every Sunday morning, um, that no matter what you believe, you're welcome here. In fact, if you don't believe, we are so glad you're here like even more glad you need to know that we pray that people who don't believe would come to our church and sit in our pews it's a weird thing we do but we do it and the reason we do it is because there's so much power in that in in moving people who believe with people who don't and people who believe that pretend they believe more often than they really do you know and it gets us all into this same room, because Jesus had this over and over and over. He gathered people who believed in him, but he also gathered people who knew that there had to be something more, and they weren't sure yet. And he had all of them sitting around a room, and he had all these religious, not a room, a, a mountain, and he had all these religious people sitting there, too. And all the religious people were pointing at the people who weren't religious, pointing out all the awful things. Boy, it's a good thing we don't do that anymore, right? Right? <laughs> <coughs> Facebook. Um, and Jesus Jesus despised it. He, one thing he couldn't stand is people who were supposed to be representing God pointing out the flaws in people who weren't even following, who weren't even God people. It made him so mad. And so he's surrounded by both people who don't believe and people who believe they have a corner on God, like they are the religious people and the ones that God loves most. And he says something that shakes everything up. Right before we get to the story I want to tell you today, Jesus says this. He looks down and he says, blessed or happy or like on the side of God is what the original words would have meant are those who are poor in spirit the literal meaning for that is like blessed are those who are like spiritually bankrupt wait a minute though Jesus aren't isn't isn't God on the side of those who are spiritually rich like those who are really really good spiritually and their souls are right and they're like pious and they're very, very religious. And Jesus goes, no, no, maybe, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to tell you, blessed or on the side of God, God is on your side. Those of you who feel poor, those of you who feel far from God. Wait a minute, but though, if I feel far from God, how can God be on my side? Here's the thing, God's on your side no matter how far you feel from This was earth shattering. This was shaking. This made the religious leaders so mad that they eventually killed Jesus because they believed they had the corner, that God was on their side and Jesus says, be very, very careful. Jesus was from a small town and he loved to look at small town people who felt like God was far from them and say, God is on your side. And in the midst of that, he starts to talk to a group of people who are following him, and I, when I, we, call, we talk about following Jesus a lot here at church, and what we mean by that is that he laid out some ways to live life. He laid out some things that you don't hear throughout history in any other way. A lot of religions say you should love people, but Jesus took it a step further. He said you should love people whether they love you or not. In fact, you should go looking for people who don't love you and love them. You should love your enemies. And then somebody said, okay, how, how far do we go with that? And Jesus said, well, you know, that soldier over there, legally, he can make you carry his bags for a mile. Legally, this was part of history. You, you, a Roman soldier could go up to a citizen and say, I'm tired, you need to carry my bag. And legally, you had to carry it for one mile. No matter where you were going, no matter what you were doing, you had to carry it for one mile. Jesus said, if, if one of them asks you to carry your bag for a mile, you carry it too. I mean, what kind of religion? What kind of person? He's setting up a whole new way of living. And when we talk about that, we talk about how does that relate to our lives and how do we follow Jesus. But when Jesus had talked about and to his followers, he was talking about people who were literally walking with him and walking behind him like my son follows me everywhere I go. They were following in his steps, walking where he was walking, treating people the way he was treating people. And he begins to say to if you want to follow me, if you want to walk the way I walk, here's what you do. So before we get into this this morning and read this I want to talk to two different groups of people one is a group of people who um, believe they're following Jesus and you know who you are you talk about following Jesus you're trying to get better all the time I'm in that category I'm trying to figure this out I would say um, I I pretend that I believe 100% of the time but I believe about 60% of the time and that grows the older I get I'm getting better you know, and it, whether I'm fully believing or not, I'm trying to act, and I'm trying to be a better husband, and a better father, and a better, uh, a better lover, people who don't love me, and those kinds of things. I think many of you fall in that category, and there's another group of people who are listening online, and who are here today, that would say, I don't know, I'm kicking the tires, I don't, I really don't know what I like about this, I know what I don't like about this, and that is people who pretend to be something they're not, <laughs> And I don't want to be that, and many of you in the room today would say that you're just trying to figure out what this is. This is for both groups of people today, and here's why. If you're a Jesus follower, you need to know this is what Jesus considers following him. This is what he means, and this is what we mean when we say we're following Jesus. If you're not, and you're kicking the tires, this is a great moment for you to go, oh, that's what it is. You mean it's not wearing John 3.16 on my t-shirt. No, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. (laughs) You mean it's not picketing around the courthouse with something I, I stand against. No, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus is always known for what he's for instead of what he's against. It's, that's not what it is. It's about a different way of choosing to live your life. And Jesus says it should look like this. So remember, a big group of people, and he's just told them, he just really made the religious people mad by saying that God is on the side of those who are who are poor. Now, God is on both sides, but it makes the religious people really mad that God even thinks about the poor people, or the people who would be poor in spirit. And so he's made them a little stirred up already, and he says this, is it getting dark? Can you paint this picture? It's getting dark. And all of a sudden, you start to see the city of Sipporah light up. One little fire, and that one little fire lights a whole area of the, the area that they're in in Galilee. And he says this, you guys, and I think Jesus probably had some salt with him. They carried it a lot for preserving, um, and they carried it a lot for flavor, both things. He said, you guys are the salt of the earth. You guys, those of you who are following us, you're the salt of the earth. You make things better. You don't go around pointing awful things that are going on. You don't stand up for the, I can't tell you how many Christians I've known in the last 20 years of my life who like to say that they're the devil's advocate. Have you ever heard that? Say, I'm the devil's advocate. You know what that means? I'm playing the other side, you know? I just want to go, what? What? (laughs) Jesus says, you're to bring hope. You're to be the thing that makes things better. I would love in my life if my kids grow up and one day somebody who isn't a Jesus follower hires my son and says, you know what? These Christians, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but our company is sure better because of them. And and I I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I would sure want my daughter to marry one because they're different. They live different. They make things better. Wherever they are, things feel more hopeful. Wherever they are, things feel like they're going to move in the right direction. Wherever they are, there's this sense that they're not in charge, but that's okay because they know who is. I don't even know if I believe what they believe, but things are better because they're around. Jesus says, that's called being salty. That's like this flavor. They add things to the situation. He says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. This is how Jesus, how powerful Jesus was. Now, if you read this and you think this whole thing of Jesus going trampled by men and salty and loses its saltiness... You kind of, it kind of just can go right past you, unless you remember that Jesus is in mixed company. He's with a whole bunch of religious leaders, I believe. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but just hearing Jesus and studying Jesus as long as I have, I think it's really possible that Jesus was looking at the religious people when he says, if you've lost your saltiness, that is, if you've become, if, if the situation that you find yourself in, people feel like they're worse off because you're there, you're better off being thrown out. Because that's not what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. You're not really following. In fact, you are representing the wrong side. My wife, i was so proud of her. About about five years ago, um, she was reading Facebook. This is like in the height of Facebook, um, and she was she was reading it a lot, and she was watching television a lot with uh, the news just getting worse and worse and worse. And um, actually, maybe longer than that it was during the recession, and it just got things were getting really bad. And she said, I am so tired of hearing bad things. I want to create a website called goodthings.com. And all it will be is aggregating hopeful stories and good things. Now, I'm so proud of her for thinking that never happened. But it was a really good idea um, at the time. We got a little too busy for that. Um, But the thought is Jesus Jesus would say to those who are following, you should be representing the good things. You should be leaning towards hope and peace. And every time people come into contact with you, they should feel better off because they were. And then he says this, just as it's getting dark, he's so good. Just as it's getting dark and the city of Sapporo starts to light up, he says, you, you. And I think he pointed at the very, very most uh, unexpected people. And he said, you are the light of the world. And probably somebody who's been taxed seventy percent their whole life, who's been in and out of jail most of their life, who has addictions they can't get rid of, who is known for awful things, said, Me? I'm the light, I'm the seporus of the world? I'm the fire, I'm the 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 thing that lights up in the night. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Yes. And a city on a hill, like Sephora's, cannot be hidden. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to be anything else. You follow me, and you represent salt and light, and people will be drawn, just like you're drawn to that light. Such a cool picture. He said, people don't take a light, light this lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. If you grew up in VBS, you sang this song, this little light of mine. Even if you didn't grow up in the world, you know that song. I'm going to let it shine. You know, put it under a bushel. <laughs> no. Blow it out. <laughs> no. I mean, that's one of the earliest things we learned. That came from this. That came from this story. He said, there's a little light in you. And the coolest thing about the light in Sophorus was how magnified it got. the 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 some of the pictures and some of the ways that they have realized that they've used fire to reflect off of water to reflect off of stone it just took a little bit of light i remember when i was a kid we went to mammoth cave i'll never forget this um, i was really little and i still have the memory of what dark really is um I, I thought I knew what dark was until we went to Mammoth Cave, and they have it all lit up, you know, and you go in there, and you see the stalactites, and the stalagmites, and all those things, and they tell you about all these things, and all of a sudden, everybody gets in a big room. You've got to do this once in your life if you've never done it. Everybody gets in this big part of the cave, just this big room, and the guy said, so when they dug this tunnel, it would have felt more like, and he didn't warn anybody, like this, and the lights go out. I mean, out. Out. Like, you have never been in darkness like this. This is, can't see your hand in front of your face. He said, 12 minutes of this is enough to make a person who is not used to it start to l- go crazy. And within an hour, you can actually start to, to, to get into situations that are really dangerous for your heart, for your brain. It is a, that kind of a darkness. And I remember as a little kid grabbing onto my mom. I hoped it was my mom. <laughs> it was when they turned the lights out, you know. And i grabbing onto her just going, Please turn the lights on. Please turn the lights on. Please turn the lights on. And I remember at first it was just in my head, and I wanted to be the tough guy. I wanted to be the, you know, the growing up boy. And I remember thinking, okay, they'll turn the lights on, but the lights weren't coming on, and the man was kept saying stupid things I didn't care about, and I didn't want it. I just wanted the lights. I just wanted the lights, and it started in my head, and then it kind of started to feel like it was in my body, and then all of a sudden it started coming out, coming out. Please turn the lights on. And I started saying it. Please turn the lights on. Please turn the lights on. Please turn the lights on. Until it got so loud, my mom said, they will, son. And the, her voice in the darkness changed everything for me. I remember that feeling. And then, it's really cool, the guy did not turn the lights on. Here's what he did. He took one match in the middle of the room, and he said, in this kind of a darkness, all it takes is a match. And I'm telling you, friends, that whole place lit up. You think that you're far from God think your life hasn't been what it's supposed to be you think that you don't have the money you're you don't have the, the city to come from the truth is all it takes is a tiny bit of light and the more dark it gets the brighter your light shine Jesus says here's the thing here's your takeaway today Christians love to do this. Please don't do this. If you don't hear anything else I, hear, I say today, if you're a Christ follower, please don't represent Jesus this way. Please don't be the devil's advocate. Please don't look for the pessimism in the room. Please don't look for the darkness. Please don't highlight the things that separate people. Please don't look for the differences between what you believe and what the world believes because that is not salt and that is not light and that is not following Jesus. The kind of followers of Jesus that changed the world, changed it by being light and by every time they were around people, things were a little bit better. You guys know if you've been around very long that one of my favorite things in history to talk about with the people who came before us in Christian faith is what happened in Rome after Jesus. Hundreds of years after Jesus, there was a terrible plague in Rome. And it was such a bad plague that there were these small groups of Jesus followers who were still trying to live what he had, still trying to be salt and light and live the way he lived. And people started taking their babies that had the plague. And because there was no cure, and because it was so contagious, they would take their babies and they would just put them on the street corner and leave them for fear that they would become infected. And these babies would be found all over the streets. And people would look at them they would go, there's a baby there. And they would walk up and they would start to pick it up and they would realize it has the plague and they would walk away. Person after person after person would walk away from these babies except for one group of humans that didn't have any more money than anybody else that didn't have any more spiritual worth than anybody else, that didn't have any more Bible reading or any, it wasn't about that. It was that they looked at these babies and they said, I'm not scared to die and I want to be a light and I want to be a salt of this earth. And they would pick up these babies who had the plague. And this group of people, these early Jesus followers, would take these babies into their homes, infect all of the rest of their lives, and they would die believing and doing what they said they believed. And after the plague was over, the leaders of Rome wrote a letter to the community. It said, many of you know of the Christians, the Jesus followers that were among us during our plague. No matter what you believe about their God and the way they live their life, thank whatever God you believe for them being in our midst because life was better because of them. You know what, there are people in your life who don't believe what you believe. You better get used to it. Your job is not to convince them. If you're a Christian person today, your job is not to convince the world to believe what you believe. That's God's job. He wants to use you to be salt and light in a way that draws people to you and says, even if I didn't believe what, I be- what they believe, I'm better off because they're in my midst. Would the people in your life who don't follow Jesus say that life is more rich because you're there my, my son um, just celebrated his 8th birthday yesterday July 1st, Friday, sorry um, and he and every Sunday my, my mom takes he in London to, to church with their friends in, in Bloomington and on the way there they have what my mom calls breakfast of champions, um, tongue in cheek They stop at a marathon station and get donuts and chocolate milk. And they stop at the same marathon station every Sunday morning. And, you know, we try to be healthy outside of that as much as possible. But they love Breakfast of Champions with Nana. And every week they stop and there's a man there named Sam who is Muslim. And there is this relationship they've been building for almost two years now where every Sunday they come in and Sam gives london and reese something and london and reese kind of bring them presents well yesterday one of the, or uh, reese's birthday one of the things he wanted to do was bring some of his his nana's rolls she makes these sourdough rolls his favorite thing on his birthday he wanted to take some of his rolls to sam at the marathon station because of the friendship now those of you who are in the room who have been following the news or have been breathing over the past five years know that there is a problem with the way some people see people who believe the muslim faith they begin to categorize them as all one way or all another way. You know that. I don't have to get into that. Guess who didn't know that? My son. He walked in. He gave Sam the rolls. Sam hugged him and gave him eight, uh, gave him uh, four two dollar bills for his birthday. He's eight years old, and he put his hand, his head, his hand on Reese's head, and he said, "God is with you." And Reese said, God is with you too, Sam. You know what your job is? It's not to convince Sam who God is. That's God and Sam's job. Reese's job was to to make Sam's life better because he was there. See, an eight-year-old followed Jesus. Just a little bit of light lights up a whole room. I think Sam would say that his life is more rich because he met Reese. And I think Reese would say that his life is rich because of the way he follows Jesus. So this, this idea of salt was about adding flavor, adding richness. Now for me, in my food, salt doesn't do it. I have to add a little cayenne pepper. <clears throat> I like things hot and spicy and lots of flavor. The idea at this point, there was not cayenne pepper. It was salt or nothing. The idea is flavor. Would the people in your life feel like their life is more rich because of you're in it? Or would they say, well, that's the person who likes to disagree with everything I believe and say and wants me to believe and wants me to live my life in a way that is congruent with what they believe? Jesus also says, your life should have light. You know what light does, especially in that culture? It does it now in our culture as things get darker. Real light, being a real light, being the representation of hope and peace and direction for people, it gives, it gives perspective. It allows you to see things you wouldn't see. The thing about fire was it's so valuable to these people because they literally they couldn't work, they couldn't do anything. You just have to go to bed when it gets dark. Unless you get fire, when you get fire and you get that little bit of light, you can see differently and you get perspective in the darkness. Jesus says that's what you should be as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian today and you're kicking the tires on this thing and you go, you know what, part of the reason I'm not is because I've run into these Christians who just rub me the wrong way. I just want you to know that's, that's, not, the, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That, that's not the kind of follower that Jesus is asking for. What he's asking for is people that will be the light of the world in a way that will give perspective on a situation when things are awful it's the christians it's the people who are close to jesus it's the people who are following jesus who can in the moment say yes but here's the hope here's the peace here's the direction we ought to go so that we can lead towards god Would the people in your life who don't follow jesus say that their life has more perspective because you're in it just something about that person I was in getting new tires last week in um for my Dixie chopper, and I just bought this chopper, and it's used, but you don't want to just go buying new things right after you invest in a new piece of equipment, you know, and it just kind of made me mad, and I went into the tire store just kind of mad, you know, and I'm taking my blown tire, and I walked in there, and they're, they're working on my tire, and I turn around, and I saw a kid that I went to high school with who was a pretty rough kid. Um, and my dad was a teacher in the school. I went to high school for 40 years, so I knew he knew him, and I knew what was next. I knew that my dad was going to see this as an opportunity to be light and salt to a person who needed it, and this guy now, and he was scary in high school. Now he's got a beard down to here. Um, he is, he's got tats. He's got earrings. He's got, and I, I'm not usually scared of, of people that look different than me, but I also know he's the one that tried to flush my head down the toilet when I was in junior high, and so I turned around and I said, "Oh, I thought, oh no, here it comes. My dad's going to embarrass me in front of this guy. He's going to immediately start talking about God." And, and I thought, "Well, maybe, maybe dad will be a little intimidated." Those of you who know my dad know that doesn't happen. The guy walks in the door. My dad turns around and goes, "Randy," you know. And I went, "Oh." I was expecting the guy to go, "Get away from me." He came and embraced my dad. And the most awkward man hug in the middle of this tire store. My dad pulled away from him and said, are you close to God? I haven't seen you in 20 years. Are you close to God? And he said, no, I'm afraid. I don't think God would want to be close to me. And dad turned him, set him down in this chair and said, let me tell you what God wants. God is right here right now and wants to be where you are. And I'm going, I want my tire fixed. See, in the moment, I wasn't being salt and light, but I got to see it. Here's the recommendation today. If you don't feel like you're being salt and light, but you want to be a follower of Jesus, find somebody who is and watch. Just be around them. It oozes out. We got in the car on the way home, and, and I, was, I was just reeling. Like, he just praying with this guy in the middle of a tire store that he hadn't seen in 20 years and representing salt and light. We got in the car, and I'm just like reeling from this, and I'm like, Dad, that was amazing. What was amazing? <laughs> that whole experience just happened. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> now that I'm retired, I go to Walmart looking for people who need prayer. Instead of dodging them, I go down the aisles and look and go, Oop, I know her. I'm going this way. He's going, who do I know, and how can I pray, and where can I be? Man, that, if you're not a Christian today and you're kicking the tires, Get to know my dad before you make your decision. Why would anybody ever feel this way? Why would anybody who doesn't believe what we believe feel like we feel? Feel like we would add salt and light to their lives. And the answer is this. The end of that scripture, which I think Tanya moved pretty fast by. The end of that scripture says this. Oh, thank you. He says this. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Look at this. Not that they would see how much Bible you know. Not that they would see your picket signs. Not that they would see your Facebook posts that make them feel guilty. In the same way that that light is shining up there, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds. The things you do, the word deeds there is, is translated into English, but it's like your positive moments, these moments in your life where you're walking into a tire store thinking you're just going to get a tire and all of a sudden you run into God himself not that my dad is God but in that moment dad didn't want a tire he represented light he represented God in that moment and you want to if, if you doubt that this is the way we're supposed to deal with the world you want, you want America to return to the way it was when you thought it was great You weren't alive then, let me tell you. It was pretty bad then too. You feel like America's going down the tubes. You feel like morality is going one way or the other. You need to know your job is not to complain. Your job is to stand in tire stores and represent light and hope for the rest of the time you have breath on this planet. And God does the rest. Band, you guys can come on up. I need to stop. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, the darkness just all the time was a big deal for me, and I wanted to be able to walk in the dark up in our woods when I was a kid. And I, I got to the point where I can now, and I love to walk in the dark. But there's, there's this feeling where, you know, you, you leave for a, a night hike. I don't know if you've ever been on a night hike. You should try that sometime, where you just go pitch black dark, walking through the woods. Your eyes start to adjust. It's the coolest thing. It's kind of scary at first. But I always took a flashlight with me, You don't want to turn it on unless you absolutely have to, because as soon as you turn it on, your eyes adjust to the light again, and then you have that time that you have to get your night vision back. So I would leave my flashlight in my back pocket, hoping hopefully I wouldn't need it. And I remember one time I got lost up in the woods. I was probably junior high, maybe a little older, maybe freshman in high school. And I got way up in the woods, and I thought, all right, I'm lost, but that's okay because I have my flashlight. And I reached around, and I grabbed it, and I turned it on, and nothing happened. (laughs) And what I thought was good, what I thought was going to lead me in the right direction was worthless. It didn't work. You know, right now there are people all over our world, especially in America right now, for, for those of us who, who are living here and are paying attention to the news, who are looking for direction. They, some of them have been told that this Jesus thing might work. If you can start to be salt and light, you'll be the flashlight to your community. But there's nothing worse than claiming that you're the light, but being broken. I'll give you a chance today. Are you a city on a hill or more of a broken flashlight if you're a Christian today? If you're not a Christian and you're kicking the tires on this thing, I just want to give you a chance to, to make sure you're looking at the right thing before you choose whether or not you want to follow And then I'd like to ask you, where can you be salt and light? That cubicle at work, the neighbor who just won't mow their lawn. Where can you be salt and light? What good deeds can you look for? What positive optimism can you bring to the conversations going around you? Did you forget that salt and light are part of what you were given with Jesus? Those of you who are Christians who have been doing this a long time, I never understood, never understood why Christians get old and grumpy. I, mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because the more you know Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more optimistic, the more positive, the more freeing, the more grace-giving. You ought to be. That's the way my grandmother is. I said, she's using an iPhone, she's going through Facebook, she's optimistic. My mom, why, why is this? Well, I figure I've been, I've been walking with Jesus for 75 years now. I don't have any excuse not to be salt and light. You've been here a long time. You've been around Jesus a long time. It ought to be getting better every day. And if it's not, you need to stop and look towards what it is you're called to do. I've talked enough. It's between you and God now. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing this song. And just open your heart and say, God, where in my life do I need to be salt and light?